Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, Eight Words or Less. Some of you know me already. I am Sammy and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James. I'm your other host. So uh, we're doing quite a, a special book this week, Sammy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know, in season two, we are doing a book and then the episode is going to be supported with a bonus with a leader and a lady called Amna Al-Oais. She recommended actually my book, Hashtag Time for Humanity. And so, yeah, let's see how this goes. But we're going to try and do three petals and a central message, but based on my book. I'm looking forward to it. I was saying to you, Sammy, it's, it's almost, I was preparing for the introduction and I almost feel a bit nervous doing the introduction in front of its author. I have almost felt like trying to describe a child in front of its parent, but um, I will do my best. <laughs> um, so look, one of the things that struck me, I loved reading it and it was really nice, I have to say, to, to read a book. And it was the first time I've ever read a book when I know the author so well. And it was quite a unique experience and lovely to sort of, as you read through it, to see your your character, your passions and, and your values come through so, so strongly throughout. So it was a, a lovely experience in that sense. And one of the things that struck me was the breadth of the book. In the introduction, it's actually described as a, a mosaic of ideas for leaders. And I, I like this visual. I thought it illustrated the nature of the book very well. And the topics that are discussed, while while anchored very firmly in the overriding message about the need for humanity, range from values and ethics to New Year's resolutions and practical tips on the metrics that can be used for cultural transformation. And from the very macro, such as climate change and digital transformation, to, to the very individual in terms of managing our mindsets, how to listen and being conscious about our reactions. And, and this breadth is, I think, very well structured into three parts within the book. And it almost felt like, a, I mean, I was sort of almost visualizing a funnel, sort of starting bigger and with each step, each section getting a little bit further down towards the individual because the first part is around the sort of experience of work, you know, the cultures, the values, the traditional notions of success. And then that comes one step in and focuses a bit further on the individual around the importance of conscious leadership, what motivates us. I particularly like that that idea that, that was eulogies have very little to do with our LinkedIn profiles, which I, I thought was a, a good uh, analogy and a good statement. And then you, you take that one step further um, and uh, go into more about us as individuals in terms of our mindsets, the techniques we can manage this, uh, the importance, for example, of active listening uh, amongst others. And throughout all of it, these points are reinforced both by academic references, but also through a lovely mixture of of, of your examples and, and uh, your experience working with leaders across the world, uh, and supported through through wider research as well. So uh, a lovely read, and, and congratulations, um, I should say as well. And uh, looking forward to to hearing your central message. I think I can probably guess what your central message is going to be. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. what is it? Well, you'll be glad to know. I mean, it's the title. So the central message is, it's time for humanity. Okay, and your first petal? My first petal is about progress that isn't. So James, it's predicted that the next 20 years will see more change than the last 200 And according to the journalist Graham Wood, change has never happened this fast before and will never be this slow again. 
So I think it's a given that artificial intelligence has the potential to enhance our capability beyond imagination. And yet my sense is that intelligent debates about technology need to be had and are all too often shut down. So in this petal, I think it's about understanding the benefits of AI, but going a little bit deeper to see what does that mean for humanity? Because asking the big and important questions does not make us Luddites, it makes us human. So futurists assure us that AI will free up humanity to focus on culture, arts, creativity, philosophy, and exploration. And they say that mass unemployment is overstated. But as more jobs become automated, I wonder where are we going to get taxable income from? As some say we will tax the robots, yet I see governments are currently struggling to impose even arbitrary taxes on big tech firms. So as we've said, James, in previous episodes, without meaningful values in business, how confident can we be that leaders, often driven by share price and quarterly reporting, are going to put humanity above the efficiency gains and cost savings that automation brings? And I mentioned in the book, when the CEO of ING announced plans to shed 7,000 jobs to accelerate the bank's think-forward strategy, Ike Versinger of the Dutch CNB union said, I don't think that was the intention of the government when it kept ING afloat with bailout money. And my concern is that we're going to see more of this in the recessions that ensue from the coronavirus. So you'll have heard me say before, it's innate in humanity to contribute, to do something useful and make other people's lives better. And I know AI can take care of the tedious tasks that human beings perform in order to achieve varied results. But I'm worried, James. I mean, several companies are even replacing customer service positions with AI after top executives are now deeming people to be too inconsistent. <laughs> well, yeah, and so, I mean, uh, there's uh, probably in that particular field as well, uh, overvaluing consistency because in many ways, good customer service is delivered by sometimes being inconsistent, by, by stretching beyond the rules and finding imaginative solutions. But I think it's undeniable. No one should be there saying that we shouldn't have the debate on this. It certainly doesn't make a lot of it. You only have to look at the industrial revolution to, to realize that while it obviously brought incredible benefits over the long run, the immediate short-term social impacts were devastating to some, from pollution to child labor to uh, cholera outbreaks and many more. So it, it is inevitable that the pace of change we see that's coming is going to have both beneficial but also massively disadvantageous impacts and the responsibility of leaders across all elements of society from the very top through to leaders within organizations or, or within their own businesses is to try and think about ways in which you maximize the, the good and, and protect against the, the bad. And I think this point you make around humans requiring meaning. I'm reminded of that episode we did uh, on Alain de Botton's um, book, and he talked about people taking meaningful work. And what that means is either alleviating suffering in someone or generating pleasure. And if you start to take away any meaning from work, how is that going to impact the way we motivate people, the way people generate self-worth and, and all of those other so, psychological and social elements? 
Absolutely. And I'm also slightly concerned about our growing reliance on social technology rather than face-to-face interaction. So I think that in the early days of coronavirus, we did embrace technology. We needed it to stay connected in this globalized world that we live in. And now we're beginning to realize it isn't the solution to everything. And I think we're recalibrating and realizing we're social beings and we're going to seek out, we crave connection. And I worry that we're becoming, in this hyper-connected world, actually less connected to ourselves and to others. And potentially our relationships are becoming more superficial and less rewarding. You know, modern life, I think, is making us lonelier and machines that give us abundance but leave us in want. Recent research, actually, James, suggests that this could be the next biggest public health issue on par with obesity and substance abuse. It feels almost a contradiction in terms because we are so much more connected now in terms of the frequency with which we speak to people, message people, see into other people's lives through social media and such like. But I agree with you. Does that actually, in a strange way, increase our sense of loneliness? Does it uh, create a sense of, I mean, I've always suffered badly from FOMO, uh, Sammy, fear of missing out. Uh, and uh, I think social media can exacerbate that. And uh, But there are many, many sort of, more serious and, and real implications uh, through through the over-reliance on, on, on uh, virtual connections. And I think, as you say, as leaders, I mean, these are vital tools. They're not going away. The way we work has changed, and I don't think it will ever revert back to what it was. Companies around the world are looking for ways in which they can reduce costs through uh, smaller real estate presence and, and greater reliance on working from home. And that does bring benefits in terms of flexibility. But we should never sort of forget the importance of connection, you know, real life connection. We've just started going back to the office and it's, you know, even maintaining distance has been such a pleasure to see people on my team again, to sit down in, in, in a socially distant way, but have a cup of coffee. And as useful as Zoom is and, and as invaluable as it has been, it, it's, not a, it's not a replacement for that. It's an addition to it. There's always got to be an element of cost management but can you focus more on retraining? Can you take those people and say, okay, so if we are making these tasks automated, then how can we generate more value for our customers through additional services? And I think that's got to be a filter that that all of us as, as leaders have to have. I agree. And I think that it's about pressing pause and examining our blind spots. So if we are having the conversation, fantastic. What I hear being spoken about is stuff like, with data, garbage in, garbage out. That's great. Let's have that conversation. But my suggestion is, why don't we scratch a little bit deeper? It's almost as though we're subcontracting our thinking with AI until maybe independent thought becomes negligible. So my sense is automation confronts us with the most important question of all. What does being human mean? And after 200,000 years, it kind of seems like we're still unprepared to tackle that most fundamental question. It's also the, um, the you know, it speaks to the famous Turing test, uh, of course, which was how, you know, can a computer convince a human that they are human? Uh, and it's quite timely debate because not a few days ago, as we were recording this, Sammy, there was the article written purely by artificial intelligence posted into The Guardian which is a slightly uh, scary topic of why uh, artificial intelligence won't take over the world. And I'm not sure I was convinced after having read it. I think I was more nervous by the end. But uh, yeah, it's such an important debate. 
Absolutely. And that's why it's time for humanity. Fantastic. And your second petal? The second petal is about becoming whole. So James, each one of us contains a whole range of different energies. And stereotypically or traditionally, these qualities, characteristics or traits may have been referred to as masculine and feminine energies. So I'm not talking about gender, just rather the different energies. And I'm trying to put a name to it so that we can have this conversation in the petal. And throughout history, all cultures have recognised this while characterising the feminine energy as yin, lunar, shakti or receptive and masculine energy as yang, solar, shiva or the active principle. But both are always understood to be present in individuals of all genders for all of humanity. In order to function as a full human being, it's essential that we have all traits present, that we recognise them, and then we use them as and where is appropriate. And I remember being kind of forced to learn the violin and piano as a kid. But one of the first things I had to do was learn how to read music. And in order to read the language of music, we need to know what the notes are so that we can play them. What I'm suggesting is we can broaden the notes that we play in leadership. Because for the longest time, we've been told to show up as analytical, competitive and driven in order to appear successful at work. Numbers, money, status were all important. And the way to achieve them, as we've seen and discussed on previous episodes, was all too often through ambition and rapid growth. But when we examine the underlying cultural norms that drive observable behaviour, we find that one of the most ingrained and unconsciously accepted is the emphasis that we place on the goal, which, for the sake of language, let's say is masculine, whereas feminine cultures place more emphasis on the process towards that goal. So the problem with this masculine norm is if we become too focused on the goal, it creates blind spots and it comes at the expense of our other responsibilities. And I don't know if you've noticed, change as we experience it in corporations, it requires focus, drive and action, but bringing it to life in a sustainable, in a meaningful way, also requires empathy, open communication, vulnerability-based trust and relationship building. And most leadership training programs, they focus on the latter, And yet cultural norms back at the office usually dictate those qualities are not truly valued and therefore don't stick. Hmm. I mean, when I was reading this, Sammy, and listening to you speak as well, I think it's it's a very interesting and very important angle and and way of thinking about it. But it it also reminds me of, of, of what comes through again and again. And it seems that there's a growing awareness of this, but the importance of authenticity, of being yourself as you come to work. And and you were saying that, it, and I certainly, my experience of this has been true, especially when I started work, but I'm even you know before that, perhaps even more pronounced, was that there was this historically, there was this focus on, on the importance. And the word that was used when I joined was gravitas. But it was linked to, I think, you know, that what you're talking about in terms of perhaps the, the old-fashioned, traditionally masculine traits around authoritative and and ambitious and driven and and 
being a different person in the office to what you are outside of the office. And I loved that you said at one point that, you know, we seem to temporarily check out our humanity when we swipe our access cards to enter work and only regain human agencies when we leave the business as if we're different people at work than we are at home. And I think for too long, that's been the case. And actually, I think we'll all contribute more towards our organizations and take a lot more out of the experience by sort of breaking down that distinction, by being more of ourself and by allowing our colleagues and our teams to, to, to be that way as well. And, and I think the benefits will be huge. The benefits, people will respond more to that style of leadership. But I think as teams, you'll get much more because you'll be bringing more of yourself. You'll be bringing greater diversity of thought and, and action. So yeah, I love the concepts that you brought out and I think it's incredibly valuable. I, I from a positive perspective, I think there's great momentum towards that. I, th- I think it's it's changed and everyone's recognising it. So I think we're we're moving in the right direction, but but further to go, perhaps. Absolutely, I agree. I've seen that positive change, and I think the answer is to get to a stage where we just see these as human qualities, and all of them as equally valuable at different times, and that's why it's time for humanity. Brilliant. Thanks, Sammy. So your your third and your final petal. So the third and final petal, James, is about conscious leadership. Gallup has been tracking employee engagement since the beginning of the century. And during that time, they suggest that less than one third of employees in the world have actually been engaged at work. And according to one of their recent reports, the figure could be as low as 13%. This should come as no surprise, really, because as human beings, we have a fundamental need to be seen before we are heard and before we are spoken to. And all too often, we miss out the first two steps. We just speak at people. If we want to get better at seeing and hearing people, it requires conscious leaders to get better at listening. So there are four levels of listening. Level one is downloading, and this is listening from habit. In this mode, you're on automatic pilot and we're just reconfirming what we already know. The level two listening is around being factual, listening from outside. So now you're opening your mind and discovering new information. Level three is deeper. It's empathetic listening. It's listening from within. In this mode, we're opening our heart to see something through another person's eyes. We're setting aside our own agenda and we're focusing on building an emotional connection. And then the really deep generative listening level four is what we call listening from source. And this is where you open your will. It means you listen in such a way that everything slows down and you access inner wisdom or in group dynamics, it's synergy. Most leaders I have found operate from levels one and two. And just to give you a recent example of how this played out, I was having a challenging conversation with a colleague and they listened to my perspectives. A week later, the same issue resurfaced again and we decided to get on a call. And it was then I asked, I said, I know you listened, but have you really heard me? Do you know why this is important to me? And then that allowed us to go into deeper listening. And of course, the issue became resolved and some parts of it are really just as simple as just making sure you make time for this because it's a, a, an area that's probably even more uh, 
relevant at the moment, given so many of our interactions, as we said, are over Zoom. And you can see so many people just typing away on their computer or just not really paying attention. And, and the the subconscious not even that subconscious, but just the the message that gives around as to whether you know the value that that person's placing on your time is very powerful. And so, I think quite often all of us as leaders we don't realise the importance of this, and we allow distractions and the the general busyness of our lives, our working lives, to get in the way of carving out enough time to sit down with our team or our colleagues and just and take that time to listen. And I did like you you quoted some work done by Otto Sharma um, talking about four specific sources of distraction that are with us at any given moment and perfect and prevent us from being effectively able to listen. Uh, and these were the past, and when we, our attention is trapped by regretting what happened yesterday, the future, when we spend too much time thinking about tomorrow. Um, and then the other two I hadn't heard, which I liked, was was the problem of it's all about them, the distraction that's seeing other people as the source of the problem. Or conversely, it's all about me sitting there and thinking, well, how's this going to impact me? What's going to happen to me? So I thought those were lovely. But at its most simple, it's just taking enough time to sit down and really be interested in what the other person has to say and realizing that that is a critical part of being a leader. Yeah, there's a lovely quote by Catherine Burns. And when we dare to listen, we remember that there is no other, there is only us. And what we have in common will always be greater than what separates us. And when I think about conscious leadership, how do we move towards better? As you say, James, busyness is the enemy. And what's funny, because you 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 mentioned this in the book, business is is often the enemy, but it's so often seen as a badge. Of, you, you use the phrase badge of honor that's used sometimes to justify title or salary. Or you know, it's it's funny how many people judge how effective you are by how full your diary is. Uh, and uh, I just think that maybe this is a symptom also of a, of a wider disease when you know. What's valued, at least in the short term, is just volume of output or that impression of busyness. And actually, we need to find ways to put more value on those longer term uh, fundamental uh, activities, which are taking time to to be with your team, to get to know them, to listen, to coach, uh, and also to spend time on yourself. Uh, and you know, I think we don't carve out that sort of time uh, in our days and, and we default to busyness perhaps even as an excuse for doing real thinking. And I think it's a dangerous mix because if I reflect back on my leadership journey, the busyness that I wore as a badge of honour, coupled also with the unhelpful thinking that I believed I'd been promoted to leadership positions based on the strength of my opinions. And so I'm busy, but I'm also creating this really unhelpful dynamic of giving and receiving opinions, which is failing to tap into the potential of each person's humanity and to co-create something meaningful for the future. Yeah. And I mean, in a way that that, that point around the, the giving of opinions was so... Um hardwired as leaders and managers to try and immediately fix problems or find solutions. And you talked about empathetic listening. And we were on a course the other day that was talking about how you can support colleagues during these times. And it talked about the difference between empathy and sympathy. And the idea that empathy comes from a completely non-judgmental place where nothing is trying to be fixed. It's just simply listening and relating and being there. Whereas, you know, sometimes sympathy, even if well-intentioned, can come across as with some judgment. And sometimes, again, unintentionally, you could be taking a more 
high ground and trying to fix problems. So, yeah, I think that all, all speaks to, to the criticality of, of taking that time and understanding that you're not having to fix something. It's not always about your opinion uh, and you need to, to carve out time to listen effectively. Yeah, it's about bringing humanity and accountability into the workplace. And if this is achieved, I think that employees will be able to bring their full and authentic selves to work, be more committed and deliver better outcomes for customers and the communities that they serve. And central message, <laughs> the pressure's on, Jay. And that's why... Well, I feel a bit embarrassed if I if I didn't get this one, Sammy. It's time for humanity. It certainly is. Well, thank you, James. And of course, all of our listeners. As always, use the hashtag eight words or less to share your insights and experiences. And if you've not already done so, click subscribe so you can download our previous episodes and make sure you never miss a new one. Bye for now.